Welcome back to Bears on Tap, a podcast about the Chicago Bears. Today is Wednesday, July 8th, and me, Lucas Perfetti 46 on Twitter, and that pod guy, Duke, Duke Coughlin, are going to be discussing Chicago Bears depth and um, position battles going into training camp. We're going to be focusing specifically on wide receivers, running back, and inside and outside linebackers. Um, wow. We got a big day today ahead of us, Duke. Um, if you'd like to get any of our Chicago sports content, you can follow us at ONTAP Sportsnet and Bears on Tap. Um, also, go ahead and check out ONTAPSportsnet.com for all of our podcasts and articles for every single Chicago sport. And we're ranging all the way into MMA, NASCAR, college football, stuff like that. Stuff like that. So definitely go ahead and check us out. Duke, my man, how you feeling, brother? Good man. I uh, I wish I could have been part of the uh, hot dog race that went down at the Chicago Dogs game tonight, but uh, just happy to be recording, talking some Bears. Yeah, I, I don't want to be that guy that like talks trash. For all the listeners out there, we went to the Chicago Dogs game, um, and it's actually astounding how a, a team like the Chicago Dogs can get their operation up and running before the MLB. But that's besides the point. Um, we had a little on tap outing at at the Chicago Dogs game and Summer of George and Ron Luce both had a little hot dog eating contest. Ron ended up winning it by one, but they were like for a whole game, they were going at a pretty slow pace. I'm not going to lie. And if I wasn't like coming off the quarantine 15, I for sure think I could have won it, you know, and that's like saying, you know, a lot in hindsight, right? Right. Like I would have drafted Patrick Mahomes, but realistically, like <laughs> I, um, yeah, I for sure think I could have topped that number. I think the winning number was 13 over like a three hour period. I'm a fat kid. So, and they weren't even putting like all the toppings on it. It was just plain dog. So I'm like, I think I could have Kobayashi that for sure. But that's besides the point. Congratulations to Ron Luce. Um, he was the underdog in it. So he came through big time lunch pail guy. Yeah. Summer George definitely let me down. Uh, definitely didn't, definitely didn't back up the talk he was putting on Twitter beforehand, but uh, whatever, you know. South side, we got to stick together. So, uh, did his best, but big shout out, to, big shout out to big old, big Ron, man. That guy edits, that guy edits our articles and apparently he can put down fucking hot dogs. So I'm insanely proud of that guy right now. Yeah, he killed it. He killed it for sure. Um, to kick this thing off, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes and his absolutely in- absurd mega deal. Um, so it's 10 years up to $503 million. I think it's like 186 guaranteed. Let me pull up the exact tweet because it's absolutely insane. Um, but there's some like stipulations with that, right? There's, there's a couple things going on with it. Um, and it's like guaranteed mechanisms and not full guarantees. So from what I looked at the numbers after two years from now, he's going to be getting paid between like 47 to 50 million a year. But I guess both teams have to agree and the cheat, or I'm sorry, both sides have to agree on that number going into that season. Um, I think Pat Mahomes could just void it like the season, like the, the off season of, whereas the chiefs have to give him like a little advance saying like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to terminate your contract maybe a year or so in advance, but absolutely insane, man. I think it's going to kind of like reset the, the way deals are, are being done at this point with all these mechanisms. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the idea. Um, and a lot of people's minds was Patrick Mahomes deal was going to set the new standard. Uh, I'm telling you a guy like Dak Prescott, everyone called him crazy for holding out as long as he did, uh, looking pretty strong right now with that idea that he's going to be able to negotiate a contract next season. Um, yeah, dude, it's wild. It, it is 
crazy to see any player get that amount of money. Um, especially kind of when you're looking at this new era of quarterbacks, we we're going into this new era of players. It's not, you're not going to be so much hearing about the Aaron Rodgers and the Tom Brady's of the world breaking these contract records. It's going to be the Patrick Mahomes and the Lamar Jackson and, uh, you know, bunch of different quarterbacks like that. It, uh, it's, it's definitely a big move for the chiefs a big move. And, you know, as much as I think the general consensus is that, you know, they knocked it out of the park making this signing, because obviously you can't let a Patrick Mahomes ever hit the open market. Like that's just pure insanity. That's a lot of money to one player to just one player. I don't care how important that player is. That is a lot of money to one player. And I feel like if Patrick Mahomes really doesn't stick on this continuum, like, rise that he's on that there could be, you know, some of those contract stipulations could end up coming up later. Yeah. And I, that's the thing though. I feel like for the next five, six years, it's not going to be an issue, right? Because there's not going to be many people like, even like you said with Dak Prescott, right? I think it gives them leverage, but I don't think it gives them that much. Cause people are going to be like, well, Patrick Mahomes was the Super Bowl MVP and the MVP of the league. But, you know, he's getting 45 to 50 million and you want 43. Like, I don't know if that matches up right now. I don't think there's really any quarterbacks worth that. But Patrick Mahomes and, you know, it's it's like a unicorn contract, too, um, with the 10 years, at least. I think like that mechanism thing I was saying before about like the both sides needing to agree. I think that's going to kind of be something that gets put into contracts in the future. Um, But that deal itself, I mean. Dude, I just, like you said, for team building perspective, right? You you look at kind of what the Seahawks did when they first drafted Russell Wilson and got him at a super cheap deal. And like the Seahawks were unbelievable in that time span when he was on his rookie contract. And don't get me wrong. The Seahawks are still good, but after paying top tier money to Russell Wilson, they've never been nearly as good. So as we understand the quarterback is the most important position, I feel like it's I don't know, man. People just should study. If I was if I was an NFL GM, I would have a specific group that just studied everything that's Bill Belichick's done in his entire career because that's the only guy I know that could really have sustained success. And it did take him to have an MVP caliber quarterback and maybe the greatest to ever play the position in Tom Brady taking team friendly deals almost every year. Well, dude, and it's it's almost like a double edged sword. Uh, double edged sword. When you get a player like this, you get a player of this caliber who is like maybe not a top ten player, but like top one, two, three player. You know, it's great to have that type of talent, especially you know, like you were saying with uh, Russell Wilson. It's great to have that player on a team friendly contract early on, but when it gets to the point of actually having to pay him, that's when you start seeing kind of those guys that are around this player start, you know going to other teams, start getting paid other money. And, um, you know, back, back to the point about Dak Prescott. Um, I, I do want to set the, I do want to set it clear. I don't think Dak is going to get, uh, Mahomes money. In fact, I don't even think Lamar Jackson will get Mahomes money, but there will be a team out there. And you saw it with the Jimmy G deal that will pay a ridiculous amount of money to keep a quarterback or to bring a quarterback in that's on the open market. And that's, that's the entire negotiating chip. It's never the guy who deserves it. It's the guy who uh, should he be getting paid that much money that every agent the from cousins. there on out. Yeah. From every agent from then on out of that decent quarterback getting paid is going to be like, you're going to sit here and tell me that we're not going to get paid more than Kirk cousins. And that's, 
that's where it, that's where it eventually takes off. And that's the general direction it's going to end up going. People aren't going to get Patrick Mahomes money, but somebody who doesn't deserve anywhere near this amount of money is going to get paid that money. And then that next echelon of quarterbacks are going to think they deserve that money as well. For sure. I mean, it was to the point where I feel like over the last, like maybe six, seven years, um, every new quarterback deal we saw signed was setting the market. You know what I mean? And I think that this one is so far out of every team's wheelhouse that like your franchise quarterbacks that are your big Ben's, your Jay Cutler's like your guys that can get it done, but aren't anything special by any means or magnificent. Like those guys are never going to have a chance to reset the market. I feel like the only one that might maybe Russell Wilson, if he gets up there and like you said, Lamar Jackson, I don't think he'll get that because I think the Ravens even more so than the chiefs with Mahomes, because the chiefs play backyard football at the end of the day, they just let him be himself um, and, and made that work, but they have the personnel to do that across the board. Um, but with Lamar Jackson, that, that offense was specifically built for him. And I don't think he would be nearly as successful in just like a straight up pro style or, or like a, um, you know, spread type system where you get, where you're coming out of gun all the time inside zone, kind of like what, you know, what they're running with the bears. Um, so I just, yeah, I just feel like it's going to be hard for anyone to scratch that you have to be like insane. You have to be Trevor Lawrence, you know what I mean? And have him come in like head full of steam for four years and then sign his deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And you know, that's, that's what it's going to come down to. That'll be the only people I think that can really reset that market. Um, but is, I think, you know, what really makes this deal stand out above all the rest is just how much higher it is than like what the normal market is. So it's, it's going to be, it's kind of unprecedented. It's something that the league hasn't quite seen before. They've seen similar things, but I don't think we've ever seen like this much of a, of a rise in base yearly salary compared to the next lowest. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, I think that guaranteed at signing Mahomes got like 68 million. And if for some reason he like his, his hand gets cut off, like he still gets $168 million if he never plays another staff for the Chiefs. So in that aspect, it's great. But with these mechanisms and shit, I don't, I don't know exactly how it's going to work. And you know, is it in five years that they're going to be able to cut him loose for, cause all of his, his guaranteed actual guaranteed money is out. You know, I really don't know the structuring of it. This is like, I've done a lot of like looking into contracts and stuff and trying to find outs and whatever, but this is something I've never seen before. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, it's just, I don't know, man, it's going to be something to keep an eye on. You know, like, like I said before, it's great. Like to have, it's gr- It's a good problem to have, to have to pay somebody like this, but you know, what does a Patrick Mahomes do when he has the worst defense in the league? What does a Patrick Mahomes do when he only has a guy like Tyree kill to throw to and other guys start to drop off and stuff like that. Can the chiefs draft pieces around him that they can, you know, continually bring peace in. Cause that's kind of what Belichick did with a lot of it was he would pay those few guys a lot of money. And then it would be, he would draft these type of players to just be able to fit into the system. Can Kansas city do that without having to spend in free agency? Cause essentially free agency spending's done at this point for him for that's, at least the next five years. Yeah. That's one thing I think bill Belichick always, if you look at his like tendencies on defense, he's always paid like a middle linebacker, a safety and a cornerback. And he's doing that with Gilmore McCordy. He just got another contract. I think Hightower gets paid pretty decently. So you can tell there are certain cornerstone positions that he needs for his system to work. And then, yeah, he just builds around it with minimum contracts and rookies and shit. Um, like I said, if I was a GM, I'd have an entire team just dedicated to studying everything that Bill Belichick's done in his history. 
Um, and then when they got up to date, just study every move they're making, because it's just kind of like, there, there's a reason why he's the only guy that's done what he's done. Um, you know, and you can even look deeper if you want to go to like Bill Walsh and stuff like that. But still, I, I still think that this is the most ridiculous dynasty we've ever seen in sports and they just got cam. So, um, I know we discussed that in the last episode. Um, but yeah, let's move forward because, you know, obviously one thing I want to mention, I saw a, a good tweet out there and it wasn't from the guy that robs everybody, even though I saw he did steal that tweet, but he was like, oh, I just look at it as the Bears saving $450 million. And it's kind of like, I see both sides of it because what I want Patrick Mahomes, yeah, but that's another thing too. Everyone's super convinced that um, that the salary cap's going down because fan attendance and this and that. Like, I don't think it's going down. Like if, if at a minimum, it will just slightly raise or stay the same. And that's if like it's detrimental this season and things don't happen. But at the end of the day, I really do think that salary cap is going to keep going up. They just signed all new deals and now they're going to, they're going to be smart enough to market like whatever that they're going to put in their stadium that gets like in TV view, like that ad revenue, I think will for sure pay for everything that was going to happen in the stadium. And for teams like Jacksonville and shit, I feel like they might make more money off of that, but that's just me. Well, dude, and you know, people forget like how much money the, like people don't realize how much money the NFL actually makes, like just from ad revenue, just from that 30 second commercial you see on Fox NFL Sunday, or even any of the local providers that, you know, pay for that ad spots, chunk of that money still goes to the NFL. Like I, if the salary cap goes down, I feel like there's going to be a lot more leeway of guaranteed money. I think there there's going to be a way to get around something like this. And, you know, like you said, there's going to just be that much more room for ad revenue with, uh, you know, regardless of how they really run this next season, whether there's fan in attendance or not, they'll still end up making a good profit. And especially with everyone at home, if they're continuing the ratings to be are just going to go up. Like yeah. Yeah, TV, exactly. They'll, they'll just go up because you're going to have 40,000 to, 60,000 people that couldn't watch at the game watching on their TV now. So if anything, that ad revenue should go up. Um, and I, I truly believe there's going to be an NFL season at this point, like unless something extremely in, intense happens, like, you know, someone passing away, like, or something like that from COVID, like an athlete, I don't think anything's going to stop them. Like I was talking to my buddy, you know, and as maybe it's naive for me to say, but if they're, if, if some players want to take that route where like they live in a bubble, right. Cause I feel like with the NBA tournament, that's going to happen. It's easy because you're living in a bubble for what, like six, seven, eight weeks. Like you, it's, it's a lot harder to think like fathom doing that for six months, a full NFL season. But at the same time, like, would you quarantine like for six months if, um, for, for a minimum contract, even 650,000, like, yeah, I would, I would quarantine for about 18 months. If you wanted to give me 650, 24 months, that's no problem. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, uh, it's like something I brought up, uh, probably I think two episodes ago about some stuff that Alan Robinson was saying on Twitter. I think the players association at this point is ready to play regardless of what happens. And I think even if the NFL were to try to kind of hit a situation where they would want to, you know, cause we're already cutting preseason games and stuff like that. If the NFL even hit a time where they wanted to like cut back on what they were doing, it seems like the players association you know, kind of saw how baseball handled their situation. They want to play like they want to play. And I feel like there's a lot of guys in these locker rooms with the attitude where it's like, I'm a top shelf athlete. You know, if I get it, I get it. I want to play football and I want to make my contract. You know, like you said, there's guys willing to be in a bubble for six months for league minimum. I, 
these guys who are making millions want to go make their money. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, no, I just, I just think it's, it's so funny. Like I said, how the Chicago dogs are able to, I just don't understand how the MLB botched it as bad as they did. Like the Chicago dogs were playing with fans in attendance today. It just, it just absolutely baffles me. Like it was a pretty, you know, when we went into the stadium too, they had a, uh, you weren't allowed to have your mask off unless you were at your seat. And they had like an algorithm essentially saying like, whenever they sold a certain amount of tickets and like one section, it was cut off and then they'd like organize where people were going to sit from there. So I would assume if the Chicago dogs could get it done, any NFL franchise can get it done. And like, we've really seen no signs of them slowing down until train until we've heard about training camp getting kind of cut up and, but either way, like they pushed through with the virtual offseason OTAs and shit like that. They pushed through with the draft. Like this kind of all started going down right after the Super Bowl. So I feel like right away they were like starting to think of the plan for how to do this. And like, you know, they, they've talked about having bigger, um, bigger practice squad rosters. And I think there's going to be like exemptions, you know, because you're only allowed to have so many people signed and shit like that every single year. So if for some reason you have five people come down with COVID, you could sign five of those people and it's not going to affect you negatively or like fuck with your cap number, stuff like that. So um, I think there's just, I think they're going to find a way to make sure it happens. Unless something crazy goes down where the whole country has to shut down again, they're going to roll through. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any way it doesn't happen. I think there's just, you know, and it, it might sound really blunt and straight to the point, but there's way too much money to be made. These are a bunch of people who want to make money. These are a bunch of people, you know, and, you know, even on the flip side of that, a lot of these players understand that a lot of these teams have windows, you know, that windows are a real thing. People want to win Super Bowls, and it's more than just holding a trophy and having a ring on your finger. It's you being marketable for the rest of your life as a Super Bowl champion. These players want that. These players understand that they're, you know, eight, you know, father times undefeated. There are windows here. Do you think Tampa Bay wants to miss a season? Like, do you think teams like, do you think new Orleans with Drew Brees wants to miss a season? Do you think uh green Bay with Aaron Rodgers wants to miss a season? Like these teams want to play. And it's, I, yeah, like you said, man, there's just no way I don't see it happening. And I think it's a very real possibility that we even see like some sort of minimum, uh, you know, attendance at most of these games you gotta hope so right we'll see what happens with texas and and all these other places but for right now there's a lot of states that could have like 50 percent capacity and and be okay but we don't you know why risk it at that point i'd rather it just be no fans in the stands and and just cool like put it on tv because if if fans in the stands is something that you know if there's an out i know that they're like within the nfl tickets there they have a waiver um, attached to them, essentially saying like, they're not liable for getting COVID, but like, God forbid, what if like 20% of a stadium gets COVID? Like that could definitely make a dent in, um, in playing, playing sports and stuff like that. So at at this point, it's just kind of like, fuck it. Don't have any fans do what they did in Korea, put a bunch of teddy bears in there, like take pictures of your super fans and put like cutouts of them and seats and stuff. Like I saw what buzz did. He's a jerk off. So shout out to buzz on tap. Um, but let's move forward with this, uh, with these position battles. First and foremost, I want to get to, uh, we've talked about the quarterbacks enough. We have Duke putting out a race to QB one article that he updates once or twice a week. So if you guys want to get on that, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, we talk about it enough. We're going to move on to wide receivers because there's about seven or eight good ones. And, um, last year I remember writing an article because we had about six good ones. I'm like, they can keep six but like, we'll see what happens or they can't keep seven, but we'll see what happens. Um, and they ended up keeping, I want to say five on the 53. It was 
Taylor Gabriel, Javon Wims, uh, Riley, Riley Ridley was not on the active roster to start. I want to say he was like, or not on the dressed roster, like the 48. I think he was on the active roster though. You had Allen Robinson, um, Anthony Miller, who was the guy that came over, um, last year, he was an undrafted free agent and, and the bears wanted, or the bears got him and someone else. There was two like burners that they had. One of them ended up in Detroit. I don't know where the other guy's at. Oh, I'm um, blanking on their names right now. You know who I'm talking about, right? Emmanuel, yeah. uh, he was from Mizzou. Emmanuel Hall, I want to say, or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I believe what's his face. Didn't didn't Mizell make the practice squad or something like that as a wide receiver too? Yeah, uh, not a, he was he was in training camp, but I'm trying to think. He went to the um, the Detroit Lions. Marvin Hall, Marvin Hall. He was a guy from the Falcons that they signed as a as a like a free agent um, going into last year. And those two guys, I thought like one of them was going to make the team, so they ended up trimming the fat. But you got to look at this year. Ted Ginn was brought in. Darnell Mooney was, they traded up to go get him. And I feel like he's actually going to have um, a role in this offense. Maybe not huge, but I see him being like that Tyreek Hill for this offense in the future. Um, you have obviously Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims. So now you got some guys. And, and last year I felt like there were some tight ends or in Cordell Patterson, if they want to list him as a wide receiver as well. So it's like, if you got some guys there, but you really can't carry seven, someone's going to have to get cut. And I just don't, um, I'm kind of at a loss right now because I'm a huge Devon Wims guy. Um, so I really don't, you know, how do you think this thing's going to shake out? Obviously, you know, Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson, and I even want to slot Ted Ginn in as that, uh, as like a guaranteed spot for some reason or another. I don't know why. I don't love him. I know he drops a lot of passes, but I just feel like, why would you bring in a veteran like that to just cut him, you know? Well, see, and, uh, I really dude. I think that's what made that Ted Ginn signing so confusing. Cause there, we have like so many people on this roster as it is. Um, Mooney's definitely not, he's definitely going to be on the opening day roster. There's no doubt about that. Um, I really don't see us moving on from Ridley this, this quick in his second season. I don't think there's any way we're going to have that happen. Um, I don't know how many games he was active for last year, but I don't think we'd be able to sneak him on the practice squad. Or even if we did, I don't think there's any chance he would sit um, without getting signed, you know, so that's Mooney, you know, Anthony well, here, Miller, let me interject Al Robinson. Because, let me interject because like, I think realistically it's, down because I think you're exactly right with Riley uh, Ridley and, and like Riley Ridley, his biggest trait coming out of college was his ability to run routes. It's his, his, his knowledge of the route tree and his ability to make these routes like all look alike. And then break, when he makes his break, it's, it's seamless. So that's one thing I don't think, I think Riley Ridley's a hundred percent safe. And I think we'll see a, actually Mike Furry in an interview said that he says um, they're kind of asking like, which young guy do you see taking a huge step forward? And he did say Riley Ridley. Um, the only thing that's confusing to me is like you get Javon Wims, you develop, and I'm not saying he's this like all-star talent by any means, but I do think he's a formidable player. And it's like, you develop this guy, you do this. And I feel like if you put him on the practice squad, similar to Mooney, he's going to get scooped up because there's enough tape out there and he's a big receiver. Like you can always use a big possession receiver in the NFL. Um, especially with this COVID shit, like guys are going to be getting scooped up off practice squads. No doubt. I don't know if there's going to be like a, a list of guys that are available to be picked up onto 53s and the guys that aren't, you know what I mean? Like, because the practice squad's bigger, they're going to be able to yeah. split in half and have like a half of untouchables. That that's something we don't know yet. 
Um, and we'll find out, but I definitely think it's going to be between Ridley and Ginn. And just because of Ginn's whole, you know, talk, he, he said in an interview, I talked to Matt Nagy almost every single day and he's got that history with Ryan Pace and just Ryan Pace's history of like not cutting Bradley soul. Cause he had him lose weight for him and just keep putting him on and off the roster just so he can get paid. Let's be real here. Like he was a practice body, knew no one else was going to pick him up, made sure he got paid. Zach Miller, when he had that terrible knee injury, he signed him to a minimum contract so he can use all the facilities to rehab and use their insurance and stuff like that. So Kyle Long, same thing, like gave him another opportunity, even though they probably wanted to cut him loose a year early. So I just feel like they've been doing right by their players. And yeah, Ginn hasn't definitely. been in a house, but like that, that's why it makes it so hard for me. Man, and that's just... I don't know, man. It's just, it's so confusing bringing Ginn in. Like, it almost makes me, uh, did we sign Ginn before the draft or after the draft? I want to say after. Which, dude, that's even more confusing because you, you could almost think bringing in a Ted Ginn would be like, hey, if we don't get our guy in the draft, at least we got a Ted Ginn out there. Because, you know, on another thing, and I don't think we've brought him up enough, dude, I don't think there's any chance we get rid of Cordell Patterson either. Um, I, I just... We're bringing in so many of these guys, and you know, I like the point you made with Javon Wims too. He's not a guy that would make it on a practice squad. He would be scooped up immediately. You know, there's there's no way we would be able to just stash him. And uh, I think with Mooney, I would think with Ridley, I think with Allen Robinson, with Anthony Miller, and with uh, you know, with guys like that, Cordell Patterson as well. I just it almost makes me think with some of these tight ends that, that are going to get moved, that we're going to run kind of like how we did with tight ends last year, where we had like 10 tight ends on the roster at once. We might do that with wide receivers this year. I'm not saying every wide receiver is going to make the roster. Cause I think, I think Wims is honestly kind of on the bubble and I think he's going to have to really prove himself in camp for him to stick on the roster. But I, I, I just, it doesn't make any other sense. Otherwise it, it makes me think that Matt Nagy wants to have more guys on the field that can do like different things. I think uh, really with the only smaller gadget guys we had last year was uh, Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel. I think with a guy like Mooney and a guy like Ginn with an Anthony Miller that adds another, you know, weapon on the field at all times, you know, with however he wants to do rotations. Um, I think it's just going to play into however Matt Nagy's scheme is this year and how much we're going to throw the football and how much we're going to use the slot receiver, who we're going to line up outside. It's going to be an interesting, it's going to be really interesting to see. I wish we had more preseason games to kind of see how maybe he's thinking about it, but I think it's a very real possibility that we run on the NFL or on the week one roster with seven receivers. I could, I could see it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like a far-fetched possibility, and I believe they extended the active rosters to 56 this year um, instead of 53, or maybe it's I, – I know – okay, so this is the thing, because I know that there's an extra playoff game, but there's not the 18th week of the season, you know, the 17th game of the season, so I don't know. They are at some point transitioning over um, – I think that's next year when they're extending the uh, regular season that, you know, that, yeah, exactly. But they're extending the playoffs this year. They're letting that extra, uh, extra guy in. So I don't know exactly when they're raising it, but I know they're raising it like six players to the active roster or something like that. So you can have more opportunities for, um, for minimum contract kind of guys, which we're not going to get into the CBA, but that's why the big, big contract guys didn't really want it to happen because they weren't going to see much of an influx or change in their income. It was more so to take care of the guys at the bottom of the totem pole. And that's why it passed. It was very strategic by the, uh, 
by the NFL owners, like in their association. But at the end yeah. of the day, um, when you look at it, if it is the deciding factor between Wims and Ted Ginn, now you're really looking at like you have two different styles of players. You know, you got, do you want another big possession receiver? Cause if you look at it, then like Cordell Patterson is not a receiver and I could see him if, if that's the case, like him being listed as a running back and then having it look normal, only having six uh, wide receivers, you know what I mean? Loaded up. But like, no, I don't see Patterson as a cut candidate because our team, if I'm not mistaken in 2018 was, I want to say 32nd or 31st in returns um, or like return production in the kick return game. And then last year we were like one number one or two, definitely in the top five. So that that's at a, at a minimum, that's what he added. And I know you can cut him for like little to no dead money, but they're not in a cap situation right now. So I just don't see it being reasonable. Even if you kick him, keep him on the team and have him listed as a kick returner. And just, that's one of your guys, like that's totally yeah. okay with me. So, cause I mean, realistically, if we're talking about pure receiving um, ability, I'd probably take Javon Wims. And that's one guy you were talking about him coming through at like preseason or, or in training camp. Like last year when I went to training camp to me, honestly, on the offense, the three most noticeable players um, were, were Javon Wims, Dave Montgomery, I'm sorry. And uh, the three most noticeable players on the whole team and Roquan Smith was everywhere in training camp. So I'm just like, I thought Javon Wims was going to have an increased role last year. Um, But back to what I was getting at with Riley with Ridley, the bears had so many problems with like, Anthony Miller allegedly not being in the same spot and all, or the right spot and all that stuff. And like, if Riley Ridley's that guy, I was calling for him last year. Cause I'm like, if no, let's see if this is really Mitch or if, if you're just throwing your wide receivers under the bus, because if, if these guys aren't getting to the right spot and you have a guy that that's his only thing that like, he's a master at is route running. Like, why aren't you using him more? You know? So, um, I, I think, you know, I still think it's a toss up. Well, yeah, dude, I, I, um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure, uh, Furry actually brought it up last year about Anthony Miller, not being in the right place at the right time. So that was kind of something that was a little confirmed. I know there was something that came out with the coaching staff about that. Um, yeah, dude, like, you know, like I was saying with Matt Nagy's scheme coming into this year, I think that's really going to be the tell about if Javon Wims makes the roster or not, because, uh, you know, like you said, he is a very noticeable player and we have seen flashes of what Javon Wims can do. It's just, it feels like Matt Nagy has really kind of, to, kind of wanted to keep him around as a, like almost a blocking guy in the screen game. And um, it really depends how Matt Nagy sees Javon Wims. Does he see him as a legit downfield threat? Like somebody who can take significant snaps opposite of Allen Robinson, or does he just see him as that blocking guy? You know, then maybe is he a little bit more expendable because Matt Nagy doesn't want to want to run the screen that much this year. It really, it's going to depend a lot on the scheme. And I think that's really something that Matt's going to do in training camp. He's going to do it a lot in his first few practices is really test out what he wants to do on offense with these different type of pieces. There's definitely going to be a lot of different packages. He's going to try out. He's going to find the packages. I think that he likes the most. And I think those are going to be the players he's going to end up sticking with the most. Yeah. And I mean, if he's trying to actually emulate what is happening in Kansas city, if you look at their number one and two receivers, you got Tyree kill and Nicole Hardman. Both those guys are five foot 10, like 185 pounds. So he's obviously like the, the chiefs don't have of those, a ton of those, big, um, possession receivers. And I think that's could be why they kept Javon Wims last year, even, you know, because people were saying like, you could probably flip him and get back his value, get a seventh rounder back for him. You know, I think he's worth like a sixth or a fifth, um, in my opinion, but 
overall, like you look at the way the Chiefs are built, their big pass catchers are, are tight ends. They don't have big receivers. They're not trying to throw the ball up like that. They're trying to get guys into space and let them let them make something happen afterwards. So if that's the case, I mean, Ted Ginn, even though he drops a lot of balls and he's he's getting up there in age, he could still fucking run. And Mooney's a burner. That's that's one guy that could actually probably run with, you know, not no one could run with Tyreek Hill. But that's one guy like if you put him in a race on our team against the, the Chiefs, Chiefs burners, like that's someone that can actually compete with him, you know. Yeah. And you know, to the point about the tight ends is I really don't think we're going to run with that many tight ends this year. I think we are pretty happy with the Jimmy Graham signing, you know, whether, whether the fan base is happy with it or not, I feel like the team really wanted that signing. And I think bringing in a guy like Cole Komet, who I think is going to take a lot of snaps early on. And, you know, you guys have this guy in Adam Shaheen who Ryan Pace will not give up on. And, um, you know, I think that fourth tight end spot is going to be kind of a battle, but I don't think we're going to be running as many tight ends. I think we're going to be really, really kind of clamping down on who we want on the field for the tight end position. I think we kind of have an idea of that already where we don't have the idea of that is the wide receiver room, which is why I could see us holding more wide receivers this year instead of holding the log jam. We did at tight end last year. So, yeah, that's good. And I want to transition into tight ends, even though we said we weren't going to talk about it, but, um, just one final point on that with the wide receivers. Um, I was talking to someone about this and like, I do think like with Anthony Miller and Riley Ridley and Mooney and again, like we have some really solid twos and threes. Like we have a true hierarchy in our, um, in our wide receiver room, right? Like we have that alpha dog and Allen Robinson. And then like Anthony Miller, I think is a solid number two receiver. Um, and I think him working from the south slot, we saw like as Taylor Gabriel went out last year, the, the, even though he's not as um, fast as Taylor Gabriel top speed, he's a lot more physical and finds that separation a lot better than Gabriel um, and still can move Anthony Miller. So that's someone that kind of his wheels go underrated. And then if you look at like it, whether it's going to be Riley Ridley or, um, or Ted Ginn or whatever, that's like a solid wide receiver three, but that room will implode if fucking Allen Robinson goes down. Cause we don't, we don't have any alphas besides Allen Robinson. You know, we're not in like the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans situation by any means we do have true one and then we got some twos and threes on the squad and guys that I think they can get the job done but you know you give this receiving court out Aaron Rodgers he's thrown for 5,000 yards but even without with even without um Allen Robinson but if you give this receiving court of Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles without Allen Robinson I think we got big big problems so let's just all pray for this man's health he did have a uh a video come out and all that stuff. And his trainer was saying that his knees back to 110% better than it ever has been. So, um, a Rob stay healthy, buddy. Cause we need you, but let's move into tight ends because, you know, I do think they're going to carry lice tight ends. I, we saw like five to six, um, different starting t- tight ends throughout the season. And some of that was rotated in and out, but at a minimum, I feel like we had four or five tight ends activated every single game. And that, hurts bad because then you're taken away from other positions, whether it's line depth, defensive depth, stuff like that. So I really do think we'll tone it back. And I think the three guarantees to make this team are obviously Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham. And then I think Demetrius Harris is that third guy. Um, Cause you're, you don't want to depend on Cole Komet, a rookie to be your, your why throughout you. I think you want someone with experience, either backing him up or splitting time with him. But for that U spot, I mean, I really liked what I saw from uh, Jesper Horstead last year. Um, you know, I think JP Holtz is, is not going to make the team just because, and I like the way he came in when they got him from Washington, but I just think overall, like 
you can't have four wide tight ends on an active roster. Um, and, and Cole Komet and Demetrius Harris, in my opinion, are just going to be better for the team overall. Um, but someone's going to have to back them up at you. And I don't, I don't, I, I think Adam Shaheen actually has a possibility of being cut. Like, why wouldn't he, they could save two, like almost $2 million on the guy. Um, and you already, like I said, you already have two, like if we go into the season, but that's another guy too, Adam Shaheen, if you want to put him on the practice squad, I don't think anybody's picking him up, you know? So I feel like you could sneak yeah. him out of the, the practice squad. I don't know if, uh, JP Holtz has any more practice squad eligibility, but maybe you could slip him on, but that, that you tight end spots can either go to Ben Broniker or, um, Jesper Horstead. So that should be an interesting battle in camp. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I really like Jesper Horstead. So I really think he's going to end up taking that spot. Um, I think Broniker showed flashes, but I just don't think he has enough trust within the offense to really um, kind of show what he's good at. And, you know, the biggest thing is whoever this fourth guy is, he has to be someone who can also slot in at that fullback position and block in that type of a situation. And that's not going to be the top three tight ends that you named. It's got to be that fourth guy. And I think that's something that Jasper Holstead can do as well. You know, I, I think it's going to be something that, uh, that fourth guy is going to be asked to do a lot of different stuff, you know, on special teams on, you know, like I said, slotting into that fullback spot in the run game, maybe lining up as that extra, you know, tight end and running in running sets. Cause you're not going to want a guy like Jimmy Graham out there run blocking consistently all day. Um, so yeah, I think he has the real shot to make it. Um, like I said, Broniker, he showed flashes. I don't think he showed enough. Um, I don't think JP Holtz really stands a chance. Um, so yeah, I, I just, you know, like I've been saying for the most part so far, I just really don't think we're going to run with a lot of tight ends. I think Demetrius Harris, uh, yeah, he does have a real shot to make it. And I think, uh, as he was signed as a new guy, I think he's one of the more safer bets, but you know, just every time you think you got Ryan pace down with, you know, being able to cut dead weight with somebody that he drafted, you end up seeing a guy stick around for another year. That's why I just can't can't totally fathom that Adam Shaheen's for sure going to get cut yet. I yeah. just really, I just really think it's going to be something where pace is just going to try to hold on a little bit too long, but JP Holtz was our like stand in fullback for a good portion of the season. Um, when they started running a lot more I formation. So if he's gone and you're saying that four spot has to go to someone that's going to contribute everywhere, I think Broniker might have the edge because he's been a four prong special teamer for a few years now. I feel like that's where he held most. That's why he got his contract again last year. I think he got like a two year deal or something like that, or, or maybe they've been reloading him on one year deals. But overall, I just think that's kind of why he's been around because he's been so familiar with the system and you know exactly what you're going to get from him. And that's not a pass catcher. You're going to get a blocking tight end. So if it's, if that is the criteria, I think Broniker's actually kind of got the edge. Well, you know, yeah. And I could definitely see that. I just really think, uh, you know, like you said, you know what you're getting out of them. And we just simply put, have not gotten enough out of the tight end position. So I really think we're kind of looking towards really having a full new set out there. And, you know, with a guy like Jasper Holstead, you know, he's a young guy. He, you know, he's shown athleticism. He's shown that he, you know, has the hands to catch. And I think he is, um, a lot better of a blocker than he gets credit for. I don't know. It's definitely going to be something that they're going to work on in camp. They're definitely going to work on that fourth guy specifically, probably at tight end. That's going to be, you know, working in the eye formation and stuff like that. It's going to be, you know, and like I said, with wide receiver, it's going to be a lot of Matt Nagy getting his piece together and seeing how they fit within his, the scheme he wants to run this year. Yeah. And I mean, Horstead, in my opinion, out of everyone that we saw like in limited capacity, I do think he was the most 
uh, impressive as a pass catcher and athletically. I think that was pretty, pretty clear cut from the start. Um, he made a couple really nice acrobatic catches. The one for a touchdown. I'm trying to think of which team it was against, but you remember the one he put? It was like it was wasn't a dime ball. The, by uh, wasn't that the Giants? I believe so. Um, but yeah, and I mean, Broniker made a really nice catch too. But I think overall, as a patch catcher, we did see the most like amount of like go up and get the ball and athleticism from Horstead. So we'll see. It should be an interesting battle. But let's move into running back because this is a hot button topic. You obviously got your bell cow back and Dave Montgomery at number one. And you're going to have, you know, hope for his health because you're going to have Tariq Cohen behind him um, as that third down back. But also just kind of, he, I can just consider them their one B at this point because Matt Nagy and don't get me wrong. I understand why Matt Nagy dig it, did it because his, his, uh, offense, he's a quote unquote multiplier and it usually is at the tight end position, but that guy was not able to do it. So Tariq Cohen is a very intelligent player that, you know, could pick up plays very quickly. So they wanted to use him as the multiplier. We saw kind of how the offense looked as it ran through him. So at, you know, if, if for some reason, um, Dave Montgomery goes down. He's not going to be able to be that guy that shoulders the load um, and give you 20, 25 carries a game, even though the bears don't ever fucking carry it 25 times a game. But you got to think like, are, is there plans, you know, is there plans for Cordero Patterson to be their, their third back, which, you know, if they need him to step in, which he's done for the Patriots and a couple other teams, I think Oakland used him first as a running back. Um, but he stepped in when people get injured and he's able to, to shoulder the workload dude's a huge dude. Um, so, you know, is, is that a possibility? I don't know, but I know for a fact, there's a ton of free agent running backs out there. Um, but I think that it, I want to get your thoughts first, but I think that the answer could be in house. Um, you know, so I think, I think there's a guy and I actually talked to buzz earlier on Twitter about, uh, the current state of the bears running back. So I'm glad you brought this stuff up. Um, I, you know, I think Patterson do, does have like legit kind of, you know, aura in the running back room that he can be used if they really do need him. And I think that would probably be like a spot situation. Say if Dave Montgomery went down week three and we need a guy for the rest of that game, we'd be able to do that. Yeah. But, um, I really think. Um, cause you know, you could go with a fan favorite, like Orion all, you know, cause everyone always oh, freaks man. out about, no. yeah, exactly. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta have like a consistent spot really, uh, you know, consistent player ready, ready and set to go. Um, I really think there's a real possibility that pace kind of looks at the, uh, looks at the cut list uh, after training camp. Cause I feel like there's going to be running backs that get cut off of these teams that just kind of are fringe. You know, I mean, we, we could talk about some undrafted free agents that we picked up that, you know, everyone's really high on. Cause you know, that's, that's the same talking point every single off season, but I really think, uh, there's going to be that three, four, five years, um, you know, five years of experience in the NFL guy that gets cut from a camp that is, you know, loaded at the running back position, you know, even like a team like, uh, Arizona like the Ravens or something, yeah, get Arizona, the yeah. Ravens. Yeah, exactly or, you know, even a team like Seattle, they have a ton of really good backs up there as well. You know, a guy like Rashad Penny, if he got cut after camp, you know, who knows? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of possibilities. I think that's something Ryan Pace already kind of taken into consideration because you are always going to have those training camp cuts and you're always going to have those guys, you know, being off a team for a day or two before they're either working out for another team or if they're already, you know, already signed. So I really think that's where Pace is going to go with it. I don't, 
I really don't think it's going to be in-house. Like I said, I think Cordell Patterson is a legit option if we need him in an emergency situation. But we are going to need that other guy that can shoulder to shoulder a good amount of that load. And I just don't think that's on the roster right now. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to be that guy that fell in love with a undrafted free agent because realistically, the only reason, the only reason why I'm doing this, because if for some reason, like the bears were to say sign Lamar Miller, uh, a running back that, uh, theoretically would fit the system and has had experience. And I don't love him as a running back, but I definitely think he would be someone where if Montgomery went down for six weeks with a high ankle sprain, he can come in and shoulder the load for a few weeks. You know what I mean? But like you said, there's going to be so many of those veterans and with COVID going on and all that shit. Now we don't know because with these extended practice squads, like some of these guys could get snagged up right away and there might not be as many available, but like even you saw what the Rams do when Gurley went down, picked up CJ Anderson in like week 12 and fucking, he was putting up 200 yard games. So I do think it the, the running game has more to do with, your offensive line in general, um, then your running back, you know, there's, there are just like quarterbacks. There's about three to four transcendent ones that running backs that really don't need, um, a lot from their offensive line to be, to do well. But even still, I think it's so dependent on, on play. But one guy that I want to bring up because I just think overall his style, his size, everything fits the offense really well. And I think he has a really good shot. He's definitely making the practice squad at a minimum, but he's got a really good shot to actually make the, the squad if he's able to contribute on special teams. And that's Artavius Pierce. Uh, he went to Oregon State. Dude is 5'11", like 218 pounds. So he's a little like he's a compact player, but the dude could run. Um, you know, he had. Hold up. Of course, when you bring up people's stats, here we go. I mean, never was really used as like a true bell cow, but 146 carries for 873 yards, um, you know, 2,100 career rushing yards at Oregon State. So definitely has some um, return ability and stuff like that. He, he returned kicks and punts for Oregon state in 2016 and 2017. So definitely going to need to make sure because, you know, same thing with like how our, how our return game was before we got to make sure we have returners loaded on deck. We cannot have Anthony Miller going back there. Someone who's susceptible to injuries and is important to the offense. You know what I mean? Like we need to have one or two of those guys that are your undrafted free agents that don't play a huge role that can return if, if Cordell Patterson were to go down. But I do think you should keep a lookout for Artavius Pierce because he's, he's really with this offense. Um, he's, he's similar to David Montgomery in a sense. Like he, he's a similar type of back, but just nowhere near as accomplished in college football. Yeah. And I mean, he does have good size, honestly, five eleven over 250 pounds is that's, that is like a, a bulldog type running back. That's, that's ideal. That's something that you kind of yeah. want. Yeah. That's like the ideal size. I just, I really think, um, I really think we've kind of played this game already with my I just really want this to be a season where Matt Nagy kind of like reflects and sees a lot of the mistakes he's made in the past. And I just, I really think they're going to want to go get a guy for, you know, who just got cut, who, isn't going to get crazy money or anything like that. They're just wanting going to grab a job that you can have sitting on the bench. Like kind of like how we had with Benny Cunningham. You know, I always felt comfortable that if uh, like a Jordan Howard were to go down, 
that if any Cunningham could go in there and fill the role decent enough, you know what I mean? Like enough to be able to run between the tacklers and stuff like but that. But those are mirror styles. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like to Quan Mazel, I think the reason why he had so much value to Matt Nagy is because he wanted a running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield. And that's what he was. And that's why he eventually got moved to um, receiver. Whereas like, Artavius Pierce, he caught 23 balls last year. You know what I mean? He averaged 7.3 yards of reception. So I think he does that, have that ability to come out of the backfield. And that's why I think like it would be a more seamless transition. You know what I mean? Cause if you were to Cordell yeah. Patterson, that's a guy that's pretty much ran in power run or like outside zone type schemes. So now you have to change your whole running scheme to kind of fit him, which, you know, like you said, it's, it's definitely a test year for Matt Nagy. I wrote a full fucking article about it. Um, yeah. just talking about, really where the team was at before he got here. Main pass catchers were Cameron Meredith, uh, Cameron Meredith. Um, we had Dion Sims is like a number one tight end Kendall, Wright. Yeah. You remember those receivers, Victor Cruz tore his ACL and fucking preseason, if I'm on, not mistaken. So yep. we had Joshua Bellamy as our number two receiver, which awesome special teams player, really cool guy to have as your number four receiver, catch a couple balls, but definitely not someone you want to depend on. That's kind of the, what I got from Broniker last year. Like he, he was put in a position where he really shouldn't have been in. He is a depth guy. He is like a catch a few balls and play special teams type of player. So I don't put that all on him. Um, but yeah, overall, I just kind of feel like for sure, um, you know, uh, it, it would just be more, a more smooth transition from, from David Montgomery to Artavius Pierce. Yeah. And I, I think he's going to have a legit shot in camp. Like I, I don't want that to get taken away or anything like that. I just, there's just, there's got, there's just going to be, I think it's going to be something that pace is going to keep an eye on. And if I, Pierce shows out in training camp, if he shows well within the system and stuff like that, then yeah, that, that uh, window probably closes a little bit on bringing somebody else in, but I just, I, I think we were in rumors trading for running backs. I think we were in conversations about, you know, signing guys like, uh, you know, like a Melvin Gordon and stuff like that. I think there was possibly a little bit of smoke to that type of fire. Um, but, you know, we spent money in other ways. And I just think that in that sense, Ryan Pace isn't totally satisfied with where the running back room is right now. So it's going to be Pierce having to prove himself right away, especially as an undrafted free agent to keep on a 53 man roster or even keep on a practice squad. Yeah. So. Well, I do think, um, I do think for sure that the it's, it's a higher likelihood that they find a veteran to take that spot, but I'm just saying, don't, don't look past him. Cause, um, I do think he has that potential. Um, but no, when you look at it too, you're talking about how like Melvin Gordon rumors and stuff, realistically, any time a player is released bears, Twitter bears, Facebook, everybody's just like, we need to sign him. And like that, the latest one is Raheem Moster, right? I'm like, dude, that guy does not fit our system whatsoever. He was running through holes untouched. Like don't get me wrong. He had a great little playoff run, but this guy's looking to get paid. Like, and you want the bears to pay him. Come on. And then you'd be the same people to throw pace under the bus if it didn't work out and say that pace is an idiot. So, um, you know, I just think that's kind of crazy. I do think, if we're looking at free agents, I like the idea of Lamar Miller or even like no joke of Gus Edwards. Um, I don't know if he's been picked up yet or, or whatever, but I think he got released by the, by the Ravens. Cause they got like 13 running backs over there. Um, but yeah, I think we should probably flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Yet last week we got into a little thing about Iggy versus Josh Woods. And I actually pulled up their depth charts from last year. And like right now, 
um, Josh Woods is the backup to Roquan Smith and Iggy's the backup to Danny Trevathan. But last year when it really came down to it and they were moving guys up and down to the depth chart, um, when Kwiatkowski wasn't a starter yet before, um, Danny Trevathan got hurt. Joel, um, yeah, Iggy was their, was their second, you know, their second string guy behind Roquan Smith. But at the end of the day, Kevin Pierre Lewis was listed as the third string linebacker and he ended up jumping above Iggy. So that, that doesn't really give you the full story, you know, but I I just wanted to point that out there that, um, you know, Iggy was listed above Josh Woods and uh, pretty much always. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing with, uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis and I dude, I brought this up from the first game that I saw him in Chicago, that guy banged on special teams. That guy, every time he was on the field, he was nonstop, like nonstop motor. And I really think that's kind of like what worked him like up the depth chart in that sense. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that has me on the Iggy hype train as to, you know, kind of be that guy, maybe behind like you know, I really think he's more of like a Roquan Smith type of guy more than either Dane Trevathan type of guy. Um, uh, what really has me on that is he showed a good bit in college. And, you know, while he is raw, he's had time in this system, in this very, very, very good era of, or great era, I should say, of Chicago Bears defense to kind of learn the system behind guy, a guy like Dane Trevathan, like a guy watching a guy like Roquan Smith, how he does it. Um, I think athletically it's his job to lose, but it's all going to be about kind of where it is like in the mindset and how well he knows the playbook, how well he can run the defense. If one of these guys were to go down. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing going into it. Um, the thing with woods is, you know, simply put, you know, there's always been a little, like a lot of hype around him, but we have not seen a ton of him on the field. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with a guy like Nick Kwiatkowski playing, you know, being that de facto third guy last year. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, Kevin Pierre Lewis playing, you know, lights out or, you know, playing strong to the ball at all times when he was on the field. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it definitely is an interesting thing that we're going to have to pay attention to because, you know, Roquan Smith got injured for a good portion of last year. Danny Trevathan has shown that he can be injury prone. So we have to know the guy that's coming in after them is someone who can come in and essentially go in without skipping a beat. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of funny because I'm, and it's not to the same extent, but when we talked about like safeties last week, we talk about a guy that's kind of generally more in the box and a guy that drops back and plays center field. Well, same thing kind of with inside linebackers. When you're playing a three, four, you do have a guy that is going to be primarily your pass defender. And then your other guy that's there for whether it's a, you know, QB draw or running back draw, something like that. He's supposed to come in and be your first line of defense, you know, against the run. And that is Danny Trevathan. Roquan Smith is your pass pass, um, your guy that's dropping into pass coverage because he is, they're both sideline to sideline linebackers. And at the end of the day, like it, it's that hesitation for one second, but Danny Trevathan still is, is used in a, in a ton of, uh, and like a ton of zone drops and stuff like that. So I don't want it to get misconstrued, but I'd say like you're, you're more sideline to sideline true. If you want someone to, to man up your tight end or man up like a, a Tariq Cohen type receiver, you're going to have Roquan Smith play him over Danny Trevathan a hundred percent just because of his speed alone. And I, I do think when you look at the differences between Josh Woods and Iggy, like Josh Wood, Josh Woods is definitely more of your banger and more of your guy that would play behind Danny Trevathan. So it does make sense the way the depth charts laid out, even though it's by ESPN and not the bears. And those are always bullshit too. Right. Um, but yeah. at the end of the, yeah, at the end of the day, like I do think Iggy is, 
a lot more fit to to play that like sideline to sideline go ahead and and drop into coverage type thing. I just don't know, like when it comes to getting off blocks and stuff like that, I'm not super confident in in Iggy. And at the end of the day, as a middle linebacker, you've got to be able to enforce the run. Um, And Roquan Smith even has trouble with that, right? He does get caught up in blocks and he'll get taken off the ball. He's a smaller guy. So that's kind of what, what happens as the NFL changes. And that's why you see a team like Tennessee blow up for a year because everyone's getting smaller and faster. And they said, fuck it. We're just going to double down and get bigger and run it down your throat. So it works out. But eventually, um, you know, at the end of the day, most of the teams that win um, kind of follow the trend. And I don't want to say that entirely, but overall, like not saying the trend of offense or whatever, but we kind of seen like this explosion of the Shanahan system and outside stretch zone, stuff like that play auction boot, like, everyone that kind of came that was up and coming young, that was under Shanahan and under Gruden when he was in Tampa Bay, they're all starting to bud and become head coaches. And we're seeing that influence, you know? Um, but I, I just think overall, um, when it comes to Iggy, like his ability to learn the playbook, I mean, I don't know if you ever heard this guy on NFL total access, but right as COVID-19 were breaking out, I think both of his parents are like either doctors or infectious d- disease specialists. And the dude is like, Iggy's a smart, smart man, like no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, man, I, I like as much as I want to say that these guys will step up and, and don't get me wrong. Who knew who Kevin Pierre Lewis was? And I think we all thought um, Nick Kowski was a run enforcer. We knew that like from what his tape gave us, but he improved a ton when it came to pass drops and stuff like that. So we don't know how much these guys are improving. Um, at, at the end of the day, though, you kind of got to have faith that these guys are going to be able to step up. Well, dude, and, you know, I, I really think, you know, a guy like Nick Wachowski is a good example. Um, you know, we have a lot of situations where these guys kind of, uh, you know, improve within the system. You know, you brought up Roquan Smith, kind of like how he has a hard time stopping the run. Roquan Smith improved a lot, on, like, against the run last year. His his missed tackle percentage, and I brought this up in my Roquan Smith article, his tackle percentage, or his missed tackle percentage, like, in like decrease significantly. So, you know, I think with the development, you know, with the middle linebacker room specifically, I think there's a lot of room for development. And I think even the starting guys have shown that, you know, and I think, I think having a guy like Kevin Pierre Lewis, you know, having a guy with that high of a motor kind of being able to scale him back and still be able to, you know, look competent back there when he was essentially signed as just a special team guy. Um, I think we're doing a lot of the right things in the, in the middle linebacker room. Uh, specifically. And, uh, you know, like, you know, like you said, it's unfortunately a lot of just kind of hoping that it works out, you know, cause we really haven't seen a ton of the, of either Josh Woods or Joel Iggy. So, yeah. And I mean, like, if you look at the guys behind them, you got Devonte bond, which is actually, um, I believe he's been with the team for a couple of years now. Um, was on the practice squad or whatever, but then you got Keandre Jones and Rashad Smith, who, I mean, as someone who really is pretty fucking in tune with what the bears are doing. Yeah. He's a rookie undraft. So these are undrafted guys. Um, so I think that's just kind of right now you have a lot of clay to mold. Um, and two guys that are coming off an injury that are your starters. So you gotta, at that point, like you got to think if they're not investing any money in the inside linebacker position, they do have some decent faith in both of those, uh, both Iggy and Josh Woods, because those are the next two up. And we, we saw that the bears needed to use their third and fourth linebackers last year. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I just, I think, you know, really honestly, ever since Danny Trevathan came into the room, we haven't had a hard time developing inside linebackers. I feel like most of the guys we've had come in, you know, even like a guy like John Timu from a couple of years back, you know, they were able to come in and look competent. And, you know, I think if that doesn't say a lot about the linebacker room enough, I think it says a lot about a guy like Danny Trevathan, you know, helping develop those guys. Cause you know, what did Brandon Marshall the middle linebacker do after Dan Chavathan left Denver. You know, I, I think he's a guy that whether he's on the field or not, is that natural of a leader? Is that good about explaining things? And that is that smart within this uh, defense that he can really help develop anybody. Yeah, man, I'm not going to lie. You bring up a really great point because me personally, I like, there's really not many guys, like everyone shows love daddy Jackson, rightfully so. And Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, for me, dude, it's Eddie Goldman and Danny Trevathan are neck and neck for my pl- favorite player on this team. Love both of them. Both of them do the dirty work. You know, Goldman's super, super quiet, and I've never really heard him get interviewed. I'd love to, like, have a chance to speak with Goldman because I-, I just feel like if you if he got comfortable with you, you know, I feel like he's one of those guys where he doesn't talk much, but if he got comfortable with you and trusted you as, like, a media member, he'd probably open up a little bit more, and I just think, like – I've made like, you know, I've made highlight tapes and stuff. Eddie Goldman was my first one. I'm a, I don't think people realize how much of a staple he is for this defense, how important he is. Um, but getting back to Danny Trevathan, like I truly believe last year when he went out and Nick Wachowski came in, I, I thought the defense looked better personally. Um, but I think really that signing comes down to is sim- very similar money. I think it comes down to, yeah, Danny Trevathan's ability to impact rookies and develop players because, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, you think of that, but consciously, like until you said it, it was kind of like a light bulb. I'm like, that's exactly why he got that contract hundred percent over Kukowski. Yeah, dude. And you know, I was, I was just waiting for you to bring it up, but like just Eddie, Eddie Goldman and Danny Trevathan are just glue guys. They are, they are like, they're the engine that makes this entire bears defense. If, if the defense was a car, I'm going on a beat on a monopia here, but if the whole defense was a car, those two are the engine. You know what I mean? They're different, like different blocks. Like they are just so crucial to like what happens on defense. And you know, like I said, with Danny Trevathan on and off the field, like, you know, when, when a guy gets injured, especially out for the season, you don't, you don't always see it them a ton on the sidelines. You know, you know, it's kind of one of those things where like they'll show up if they want, but otherwise they're rehabbing all that. Dan, Dan Trevathan was on the sideline of every single game after he got injured. Like he was there. He was making sure things were being done right. He was making sure that people were in the right place and stuff like that, whether it was on the sidelines or not. And dude, that's, you can't coach that. And you can't value that on a, on a stat, on a stat line. You really can't. And that's just why I love Danny Trevathan. Yeah. Danny T's that guy. Shout out to grinding 59. I think it's grinding underscore 59, but he's, he's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, really cool dude. Um, glad he's back on the bears for sure. But I, I just, yeah, man, I just feel like, <sighs> what was like, you, you said, you said something about, Eddie Goldman, then Danny. Trump. All right. Oh yeah. 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 One, one thing that I definitely think goes unnoticed because everyone says the bears running game lacked so much. Um, and it was because Akeem, Akeem Hicks got injured. That was the first game in like two years. We saw that the bears defense was getting gashed for real against the Raiders. Um, but people like, you know, it was brought up while it happened. Like it was relevant that week, but it kind of got swept under the rug and a lot of the blame got put to Hicks not being in the lineup. But what, 
there was they had a strategy for Eddie Goldman. And I think teams have kind of smartened up and notice if they're able to get him off the ball, they're able to actually run the ball against this defense because they were doing not a legal chop box, but very, very close to illegal. Some of them seem to be illegal, but essentially like a chop block that's illegal on the line of scrimmage is if one player is engaged with you up high, the next player, like a, a player can't come from the side and take your legs out. Now, if no one's touching you and a player wants to chop you, that's fine. But essentially, like it's it's like someone's holding you up. It's like supposed to lead to crazy, crazy type knee injuries. And you saw Goldman getting pissed off during it. But what they were doing was kind of getting into Goldman and at the last second, letting him go. And then someone else would come behind and chop block him. And I think we started seeing teams use that strategy a lot more. And then without Hicks, too, it was so much more polarizing because they were able to focus everything on Goldman. Um, so I well, feel like they're going to have to find a way to combat that this year. What the thing with Eddie Goldman too is, uh, you know, I think everyone always has this idea that the nose tackle in a three, four is like this, just big guy who is just like just an absolute wall who is supposed to push through everybody. Um, if you remember Eddie Goldman, when he was in the four, three system, he was a pass rusher. Like he definitely knows how to hit his gaps. He knows how to be where he has to be. And that's what makes him so valuable. Yes. He's a bigger guy, obviously, but he's not a guy that necessarily is, has to push through two, three guys. He just is in the right gaps at the right times and just, you know, causing clutter in the middle, which leaves a guy like a Dan Trevathan or Roquan Smith to be able to come in and clean up the slack or even a guy like Akeem Hicks or our outside linebackers. See, you know, where that does get lost is when people do prepare around that, you know, like you were saying with chop blocking and stuff like that, they were, they were almost like going at his angles. They knew he was going to shoot a gap and they were like almost preparing for it by going like by almost setting up a wall of chops on either side. So it wasn't really necessarily something where he could go, you know, straight through something. Cause he would obviously get knocked over or something like that. It was almost like his entire course of action was he would have to go around that. Exactly. Whereas, whereas when you have an Akeem Hicks right next to you, you can't pull that off because he is the guy that can push two different people at once and absolutely power through to the quarterback. And when you don't have that next to a guy like Eddie Goldman, you know, like we said, Eddie Goldman is a glue guy. When you don't have that guy who can power through and kind of maybe even open up and help with a, you know, causing mayhem with a gap that Eddie Goldman can shoot into. It causes a lot of work that Eddie Goldman has to kind of pick up on his own. And, you know, asking that much of a nose tackle is really a lot. And when you have a guy like a Roy Robertson Harris, don't get me wrong. I love RH, um, you know, RH, but, um, that's not a guy who is going to power through anybody either. So when we have too much finesse on the inside, that's when we're, we're going to lose in the run game. And that is what makes a guy like Hakeem Hicks so important on the inside as well. Yeah. Um, and, and like, yeah, you, you honestly just hit the nail on the head with like the angles and everything like that. That was a huge part of what teams were trying to do to Eddie Goldman. But if you look at his stats, he's averaged like 2.5 sacks every single season, you know, to talk about your pass rushing point. Like he's averaged about 2.5 sacks a season and he's a true three, four defensive tackle, nose tackle. Um, and he gets taken out for pass rushes. So for someone to actually capitalize that, like he's getting his sacks from base sets and probably fighting through double teams for most of it. You know, his most notable one is that safety against Jared Goff in 2018, which was dope as fuck. Um, love to see it. Oh love God. to see it. But yeah, no, you brought up a really good point. Um, so last year there was six active um, linebackers, middle linebackers at the start of the season with KPL, 
um, Josh, uh, Josh Woods, I think came on and off, but KPL, um, Iggy, Danny Trevathan, obviously Roquan Smith. So we had and, about, uh, Nick Wachowski too. And Nick Wachowski. So we had like five or six making the 53 man roster. And I think that was in large part because green Bay needed some help, uh, at linebacker and they would have been gladly willing to take anyone off of our, off of our practice squad at that point, if we let one of those guys go to it. Um, but yeah, dude, I just think they're going to, they're going to tone down on the inside linebackers because we have a lot of secondary. We talked about that last week. We have a lot of secondary that we got to make room for that I think can be true impact players. Um, so we might be a little thin. I think we might be just rolling with four going with Danny, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, um, Iggy and Josh Woods. And then those maybe letting one or two of those guys be on the practice squad. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, you know, and I think the coaching staff being able to work with a guy like Joel Iggy for as long as they have, I think they have a lot of confidence in him. And I think, you know, we've seen enough, like they've seen enough out of woods that they can confidently say that he could fill in, in a spot role. And, you know, you know, we always, we always forget that, you know, three, four middle linebackers are always able to get picked up out of free agency or off practice squad as well. If we were to hit a nightmare scenario. So I think uh, I think we're confident with where we're at inside, but we can always add to it if need be. Yeah, 100 percent. So now we will move to the outside linebacker position because we definitely see a lot of new faces. Um, exit Leonard Floyd, enter Robert Quinn. We kind of talked about how he's a four three backer um, and how they're going to make him. I'm sorry, a four three defensive end. And they're going to they're going to develop him to be a three four outside linebacker. I still think they're going to let him line up in his four point stance. Um, you know, probably about 50% of the time they, they let Khalil Mack do it last year. So I don't see why they wouldn't let him do it if he liked it. But Chuck Pagano, when he was getting talked to, um, he brought up, I think it was Richard Mathis, Mathis or no, I'm sorry, Dwight Freeney. Um, and how, when he came to Indianapolis, Dwight Freeney was a true four, three, uh, defensive end and he, how he like took an off season to teach him the position and learn. And I think in his first season, Dwight Freeney had eight and a half sacks. And then his second, he had like 19 and a half at like 33 or something like that. So really huge improvements. Um, if Robert Quinn is the type of player that we perceive him to be, then I'm, I'd assume he's able to catch on and start doing work pretty quickly. He's got a motor. I mean, he, he gets after the quarterback, simply put, he's not going to be anything crazy impressive on run stopping and, and stuff like that. But that's what he's here for. He's here to get to the quarterback. He's here to take some of that pressure off Khalil Mack. Obviously you got Khalil Mack, the highest played fucking defensive player in the league, extremely slept on. We went over, you know, how he's liking people's um, tweets that are saying he's overrated and overpaid and stuff like that. Wrong guy to motivate. But when we get into the depth, that's where it gets interesting because in 2018, I would say that um, what's it called was actually pretty decent, right? Um, uh, Aaron Litch, he had a decent season, you know, and I think they gave him like yeah. a one year, $4 million contract, but that's because Vic Fangio had that history with him. As soon as Pagano came in, Aaron Lynch was pretty much fucking useless. Um, and you know, I don't think he's been signed anywhere else or maybe he has actually, let me double check that. But right now, when you look at our, our depth, we got Barkevious Mingo. And that's someone that could also probably slide inside if they need him to. I think he's got a possibility, but that's a former top five pick that got released, you know, a couple times didn't really work out, but they're trying him out. You know, they did the same thing. I wrote an article about how like pace kind of took a page out of, uh, uh, Bill Belichick's book. Cause they signed Artie Burns, Barkevious Mingo. Um, 
Jermaine Effetti, all these guys that were top draft picks and didn't work out at their team. So giving them, you know, a second, second little wind here, trying to see if they can get something out of them. And all the, all the contracts were signed to minimum, minimum money. So it's like no harm, no foul. If, if they get any type of production out of them, it's very good. You still got, um, Isaiah Irving over there, James Vaught, um, I'm sorry, James Vauters, who was, uh, practice squad guy last year he actually didn't make the original cut for practice squad i want to say then they brought him back and he eventually got some time actually last year i love his motor to be honest um he really he he's very raw but overall that's what you see when you get james waters is a guy kind of like a similar build to khalil mack but just relentless towards the quarterback but also leads to like i did a full breakdown of him leads to over pursuit in the running game and stuff like that, because he's so anxious to get after the quarterback, all stuff that could be cleaned up. Um, but there's a reason why he was getting bounced on and off the roster, the, even the practice squad roster. And then of course you got little Mac, Ladarius Mac, who in my opinion was probably like a, Hey, Khalil's our most paid player. Let's keep him happy and sign his little brother and give him a shot to make the team. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I we're all I feel like there's not one Chicago Bears fan that is not rooting for Ladarius Mack, but I mean, let's be real here. Um yeah, you know, and I think I think a couple of those positions are going to be um a little bit interchangeable. Um I think uh Aaron Lynch is with the Jaguars. Yeah, I just saw that actually. Okay. That's what it says. Sorry, I, sorry to mean to hop off there. No, you're all um, good. But yeah, you know, uh, I, I can say that I honestly probably, I ha- really haven't seen a lot of otters. Um, obviously you're going to have a little bit more Intel on that because you actually did do a full breakdown of them. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's a guy like Isaiah Irving where, you know, he's been sitting at the second string spot for a couple years now, and you just really have not seen a ton out of him. You know, you've seen those flashes in the preseason that it's like, okay, well, Hey, that guy looks pretty good, but then you see him on a actual regular season game and you just very unnoticeable, you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of like what they do outside. I think a guy like, uh, Barcavius Mingo. Um, I actually really like that pick. I think it was an underrated one. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to like set the world on fire, but I think he's been a pretty, like pretty consistent player throughout his career. And obviously is that first round pedigree. Um, you know, he's worked in number four overall, dude. Yeah, that's what I mean, you know, but he just, it just never hit, you know, but he had, he's been a part of some pretty good defenses. You know, he was good with a Browns defense. He was good with a new England defense. Um, Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't categorize it as good, but definitely had some decent seasons. Um, I mean, there's a reason why he's getting bounced around on teams. At the end of the day, you go to the Browns, you're pretty much sacrificing really whatever development you want. Cause the Browns just find a way to fuck stuff up. Um, I, I mean, and that, that is true, but I think what goes under like not talked about enough is the Browns have actually consistently had a pretty good defense for the most part. Their offense has been, I probably, you know, hard dried catch shit for the most part for the last 20 years, but they've actually had some pretty good defensive squads. So I have a, um, the link for that. If you ever want, I'll send it to you personally, but if any of you guys want to see this James Waters tape last year, it was him and Kylie Fitz, I think battling for a spot, or at least that's the way it appeared. So I did a a tape and it's called, it's on YouTube. If you just type in Vauders, V-A-U-G-H-T-E-R-S, V dot S Fitz, F-I-T-T-S. Um, and that should pop up. It should be the first one. I don't think anyone else did a, a James Waters and 
Kylie. I don't think anyone's that sadistic to to go into who's going to be the last player on the practice squad selected. Um, but I was actually correct. I, I gave it to James Waters. Um, and I actually knew a guy. I worked at a bar in, in Beverly Hills, and one of the liquor reps was, like, good friends with Kylie Fitz, went to high school with him. So I was pulling for him. But, you know, you can't can't play favorites in that. Like, I Tate doesn't lie. Well, that's what I mean. And you can't just have a guy on the roster that's treading water because they had one good preseason. You know what I mean? And that's that's why I think a guy like Isaiah Irving is – just kind of no guarantee. I really think we're going to be looking, you know, at outside linebackers outside of our starters, you know, in Robert Quinn and Cleo Mack. And we're really going to be looking for that guy that, that kind of just shows a spark and kind of really shows a high motor. And I'm glad you're typing this guy up right here. Cause he's also very important to the future is a guy in Trevi- uh, Travis Gibson, who I think when he got drafted, I think a lot of people didn't really see it coming for us to draft an outside linebacker. Cause you look at how much money we just spent on both of our outside linebackers, but that's a guy who has been flooring all of our coaches so far any defensive coach that has brought up uh, Travis Gibson has had nothing but great things to say about him. But yeah, at the end of the day, they, the, the bears did trade up to the fifth round to pick up Travis Gibson. So I would, I would assume that he's going to be their number three. Um, I don't know. You, you had some stuff to say about him, correct? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, bringing up Isaiah Irving, I think that's a spot where if Travis Gibson kind of hits the ground running in camp and, you know, kind of impresses coaches, I could really see him being a legit backup to one of these guys. Um, I think Travis really fell in the draft because of where he was from. And I think he does kind of have some weaknesses in the running game, but you know, at six three, two hundred and sixty plus pounds, and I believe uh, he's kind of been one of the more of the uh, workout guys in this off season. Um, I think he's a guy that if you can get him to hover around two hundred seventy pounds to be able to kind of, uh, you know, bulk up into uh, run coverage a little bit more, I think he's a guy that's going to be hard to take off the field one day, if not, if not this season. I think he's a guy that people really need to pay attention to. Yeah, and I mean, like I know Jay Rogers is the defensive line coach, but he's a damn good defensive line coach. If I'm not mistaken, um, Gibson played same thing as uh, Robert Quinn. He played a, a um, four, three defensive line defensive end. So I believe that they are having him transition too because of his size length is one of his big things. They're saying it's huge, Um, but he got drafted 155th overall. Um, And just to touch on Isaiah Irving as much as like, I can't say I was ever high on him, you know, but um I just think it's his time's up. I think we have too many with Bartavius Mingo here, a new fresh draft pick. Like I know that they, they signed him to or tendered him or whatever. Um, but I think that was just kind of a backup plan. I don't, he had a lot of opportunities last year, like a lot more than anticipated, especially with Aaron, Aaron uh, Lynch falling off. Like Isaiah had a lot of opportunities kind of similar to Leonard Floyd, but those one-on-ones and never really capitalized on him. We've never really seen much from, Isaiah Irving, like I like that's why I say with James Waters, like at least like you can you can ask someone to pull it back and not be too fucking intense towards the you know what I mean? Like making sure to take your gap responsibility before you get after the quarterback. But with with Isaiah Irving, it's like you can't ask him to go harder. Like usually I don't know, I just think of it in an improv sense, like I did improv and they'd always say like you could tone it back. You can't emit more energy. So if you if we're going if you're going too far, we can pull you back, but um, it's hard to get you to to emote more energy than you're already giving out, if that makes sense. 
No, it does. I, I, I get what you're saying. hundred percent. And, um, you know, a point I want to make, and this is a point I'm making, not necessarily on what I've heard a lot out of co- the coaching staff, but kind of like with how Ryan pace built some of the roster is we did kind of, you know, we were a little, little thin on front front end depth, you know, when, it, when a guy like Akeem Hicks went down and stuff like that. And I think we've kind of built like a little bit more beef you know, a little bit more depth behind those front three down linemen guys. You know, I really like what uh, Roy Robertson Harris brings inside, but I really would not be surprised if he did end up seeing some snaps outside. You know, if, if a guy like Isaiah Irving does end up getting cut and, you know, we do have a Barcavius Mingo, Travis Gibson, James Vodders, but you know, Roy Robertson Harris, he does have that size. And while he's going to be, he's going to offer absolutely nothing in pass coverage. I can say that pretty you know, pretty, pretty confidently. He is a guy who is very, very, very good at rushing the passer. And I think, you know, inside outside, he kind of reminds me of what uh, we always wanted a guy like Lamar Houston to be a guy who can play inside a guy who can play outside, outside linebacker can also fill in a defensive line. Um, And Roy Robertson Harris, he might, he might really jump at an opportunity like that because he's going into another contract year and you know where he's at, at about his age, I think he's near hitting his prime. And I think this is going to be the situation where he's going to be able to get his first big contract and, you know, inside rushers as great as they are, unless you're a guy of, uh, um, Akeem Aaron, Aaron Donald, like level, you're not going to get that big money where you're going to get that money is outside rushing. And with that giant hole really behind both spots, you know, at outside linebacker, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Roy Robertson Harris flip outside. Yeah, I think uh, I could see them playing with it. He's six, five, 292 pass rush, or I'm sorry, pass coverage would be essentially obsolete. You'd have him yeah. maybe, maybe run drop sometimes where he would just like kind of cover the line of scrimmage and, and try to sniff out a screen and not come fully up, but there's no chance you're having him even drop into a flat. Cause that's, that's just mismatch city waiting to happen. Um, but overall, I don't know if I necessarily agree with, I mean, I'm sure they could try him out there, but they almost use him. Cause when the bears want to rush the passer in obvious pass rushing situations, a lot of the times they're just using two down linemen inside and then their um their their linebackers have b b gap responsibility and then they have two guys standing up their outside linebackers rushing the passer so i would say that um they have kind of put roy robertson harris into that chris jones type role like an interior pass rusher for sure um and i'd love to see what he can do from like an uh, akeem hicks like a three four defensive end standpoint because i do think he's a little bit too big to be to be standing and stuff like that but um i mean shoot if you if you need him to you need them to, I guess if they're put in that position, we'll see what happens. But when it comes to like Travis Gibson and Robert Quinn, I think it's really nice that you're teaching both of those guys how to change from four, three defensive ends to three, four uh, outside linebackers. Cause I think realistically it'll have a rippling effect, right? Like no question, maybe Robert Quinn, he's, he's a, you know, as, as much as he is a, a football player and probably wants to be a sponge and willing to learn. You also have like someone who kind of has it a little bit more figured out. And maybe Travis Gibson will be asking those questions that maybe Robert Quinn's a little bit shy to ask or something like that. You know, he's, we talked about how he's not the most outspoken guy. Um, But getting back to Roy Robertson Harris, I actually just heard a, a Jay Rogers interview and he was talking about how like Harris can play at a really high level, but they only see it in spurts kind of similar to Mitchell Trubisky, right? Like you see like, 
really small glimpses of, of re- like he had a sick game against Minnesota. Um, the, the first Packers game, he played really well. He actually showed up big time week one. Um, so there's times where he definitely stands out, but like you said, in a contract year, you got to put that together. Cause he, it, at the end of the day, like the bears have no, no more control. They have no more ways of retaining him for cheap money. He will go get himself a decent contract at a minimum, a Nick Williams type contract. So they won't be able to retain him. You might as well let this Definitely. guy you know, you might as well let this guy loose and get after the quarterback and try to go get his money. And then also, you know, benefit, benefit and return of that. Um, but overall, I do think, I think Travis Gibson's going to take that third spot. I, I really do. And I think Bartavius Mingo is going to be that like kind of floating, whether it's sub linebacker um, in, in the depth or outside linebacker, inside linebacker, because he has experience everywhere. Yeah, he and uh, I do like that you brought up his uh, experience inside because he has definitely played a good chunk inside. You know, and you know, like we've talked about, Mingo, not necessarily a great player, not necessarily even like a good player, but he's played in enough defensive systems that he's he can go in somewhere in a pinch. You know, he's someone that can hop into a spot, know what he's doing, not be completely lost, just not somebody you want to be in there long term because then they start to get picked on. Yeah. And, and a hundred percent, like I, um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like is Kevin Pierre Lewis, this outstanding talent? No, but when you surround him with that many good players, they have an, that they have an opportunity to flourish, you know? And at that point it's up to them. So when you think of like that past draft stock and you think of everything that goes into it and him getting cut, like he could be motivated. This is a pr- another prove it year for him. And if he goes to a good defense and shows that he can play, then maybe people will think like, Hey, we can use him as an additional piece, not pay him, pay him, but like, Hey, you know, we'll give him a decent little contract. He'll be like our, our, our little ace in the hole type thing. Um, just a, a nice piece to add. So I think he, you know, him and just the theme of the offseason in general, a lot of guys improve it years. So I think that's ultimate motivation, right, is put the money in front of them and see if they're willing to go get it. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, I just see the depth chart shaking out and I see Isaiah Irving not being on it. Um, sorry, big dog. I hope I hope someone picks you up, but I just don't see it working out. It, dude, it, it's just you've had every opportunity in the world. You know, I don't have anything personal against Isaiah Irving, but it just feels like he's just been this lukewarm guy. That's just been kind of a placeholder. He hasn't shown it on the field and that's, that's where it matters. Exactly. He's been a depth guy, but at no point has he had an RR like a Roy Robertson Harris game at no point as he stepped in like a Kevin Tolliver for a game and been like, Oh, okay. He can, he can play a little bit. He's especially on the defensive line. Those guys, doesn't matter if you're fifth on the depth chart, you're getting in the rotation. Those guys, they want fresh bodies rushing all the time. If anything, we fucking took Khalil Mack out a little bit too much last year. Um, but also when it comes to the, the transition from four, three to three, four, like sub and stuff like that. I mean, Khalil Mack with Jack Del Rio for the most part was playing uh four, three and he was playing defensive end. I know he played outside linebacker as well. They, they ran multiple sets, but he was all pro as a defensive end and an outside linebacker in the same year. So he's been used in that capacity. He had that ability to transition and don't get me wrong. Khalil Mack's a freak of nature, but I just think like with Khalil Mack having that experience switching over, I think there's just going to be a lot of knowledge shared in that room and they're going to be able to catch up pretty quick. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's really put it the best way, man. A lot of great defensive players come together. Good things usually happen especially if you're young and especially if you're learning. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like when it comes to someone like, 
I mean, we've covered it, but when it comes to someone like Robert Quinn, I know he's a little bit up there in age. I think he's one of the older people we've signed in the pace era being like 31 or so. But when it comes to pass rushers, dude, they're for some reason or another, their, their, their career lasts a long time, probably because they're inflicting most of the damage and not taking most of it. Well, dude, I mean, and you look like a, you look at like a Dwight Freeney and Rashawn Mathis and, uh, well, Elvis Doomerville, I think is a prime example of a guy who can last long in the league, you know, and still be effective, you know, Robert Julius Quinn, peppers. Yeah. Like the list goes on clay Matthews. Um, just guys, they, they can get you. He's more of an outside linebacker, but he did. He had a long career, man. Yeah, I know. I just, I just have a lot of things to say about Clay Matthews that I'm not going to say on this podcast. Well, you don't like him? No, I do not, dude. Uh, living in Wisconsin during prime Clay Matthews years oh my is God. honestly probably, probably worse than Aaron Rodgers, dude. Probably worse than Aaron Rodgers actually. Like, cause I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm used to handling Aaron Rodgers. I never got used to handling Clay Matthews. Don't mean, don't get me wrong. Good player. But they anointed him a Hall of Famer after his second year, and holy shit! Well, you gotta, just, yeah, you got to think too. Like Aaron Rodgers is kind of like an ugly little squirrely fuck. Like Clay Matthews is a hundred percent certified man. Like he had all, he garnered all the attention from women. Even girls out here were like, "I love Clay Matthews." I'm like, "You fucking shut your mouth when you're talking to me. You better find a better life." <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, on that note, I think we're we're pretty much done. We covered all the we even got tight ends in there. We got the running backs. Um everything, dude. Running backs, wide receivers, inside, outside linebackers. Next week we'll come at you with linemen, uh offensive and defensive line. So RRH will get another little shout out. Um, but that's about it, man. You got any other notes? Nope. I just know that uh B Don when he comes on next week, if he comes on next week, is gonna be uh salivating at Alex Bars. So I'm just gonna mentally prepare for that right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fucking beat on. Beat on a monopia. Have fun in Florida, big dog. We will see you. Make sure you try to social distance as much as possible because COVID is running rampant out there. Um, but on that note, we are Bears on Tap. I'm Lucas Perfetti. You could follow me at LucasPerfetti46. The guy on the other side of the mic is Duke Coughlin at that pod guy, Duke. Um, we're supported by on tap sports net or sponsored by on tap sports net. You could follow their tag there. We're bears on tap. Go ahead and follow us at bears on tap and also go to on tap sports net for all of your Chicago sports needs. Um, if you have Apple, if you guys don't mind, maybe put out a little rating and review, um, DM one of us. If there's something you want to hear about or talk about, we've been doing fan questions and stuff like that. So our DMS are open. Definitely give us a shout. Um, we love you all and bear down. Bear down, baby.